there is one group in society that apparently it's okay for us to ridicule it, it's okay for us to vilify it, it's okay for us to stereotype it. It is a group that is always responsible for real or imagined problems in our society. It's the group that Ayn Rand called the persecuted minority in the United States. And of course, I'm talking about the big producers, the big entrepreneurs, the 1% of the most productive rich people. And one of the most consistent people who have been consistent in attacking this group has been Robert Reich. Robert Reich is an academic. He's a public intellectual. He used to be part of the Clinton administration and he consistently attacked billionaires. He even asks the question, shall we perhaps abolish billionaires? So today we are going to put to the test Robert Reich accusation against the productive rich. This is New Idea Live, the podcast of the Ayn Rand Institute, and with me is Agustina Vergara Sid. So, Agustina, why shall we discuss the ideas of Robert Reich? So we're talking about Reich because, like you said, he's a very prominent figure. He was U.S. Secretary of Labor, and he has been since leaving politics. He's taken a role in being one of the most outspoken people about issues like inequality and one of the main things that he does is attack billionaire business people and to be clear like he's one of the most um, outspoken representatives of, of a view that we're going to analyze today but he's not the only one in fact like this view that billionaires are essentially evil um, is held by people like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, of course, and many number of other politicians and intellectuals. But it's also a view that is very widespread in this in society in general. In fact, like every like every time I ask someone, like a regular person who's like not one of my colleagues and objectivists or familiar with it, what their view is of these big companies or what view is if they work for a big company themselves, what is your view of your CEO and things like that? They always have such a negative view, but it's a view that is clearly, I see the common threads with these ideas that are put forward by Reich and people like, like Robert Reich. So that is one of the reasons why we are, we're, we're taking Reich as a representative of this widespread view in society. And, and just um, one story on how widespread it is. I was uh, reading, rereading recently the book by our common friend Don Watkins that he wrote with Yaron Brook on, uh, on, uh, on capitalism. And he mentions that at some point he was at the cinema watching South Park, the film. And there's one scene apparently where Bill Gates is executed or something, and the whole cinema starts uploading. So, in, and these were common people. They were not, I assume, uh, radical leftists. So the idea that the super rich are evil, there's something that instinctively people react to, to the level where they clap when they see their fictional, their fictional execution as an act of justice. Right. And recall, um, right before the pandemic started, there was this call by people, like I said, like AOC, for example, to abolish billionaires and then Reich picked up that flag and carried it. Um, and there, it was a whole movement trying to uh, say, okay, it's completely unjust and unfair that these people, they even exist. Um, and like there was like a whole campaign and then obviously the pandemic hit and it, it died down a little bit, but Reich is one of the people that keep 
this narrative uh, that keeps this narrative alive and keeps it going. Imagine if anyone said this about any other group. Shall we abolish uh, X group? That would be like, shall we abolish artists? That would be say, that's horrible. Why would you do that? So let's figure out then why does he think that it, such, a, such a view is acceptable in polite society? So I think it's merely to say a word about with the people that Reich is actually attacking because, you know, he talks about billionaires and what he calls centibillionaires, which is which are people who have over a hundred billion dollars, which to him is completely unfathomable. Um, but is he's not attacking billionaires? He is attacking businessmen who have produced billions of dollars and millions of dollars. He attacks big business and big businessmen in general. So the people that he's attacking, like the word billionaire is an outcome of the value creation that, that they've done. And Reich is not attacking, you know, uh, Russian thought thugs that have made their money through crime or, you know, uh, bribery in politics and f political favors and things like that. And he's not attacking politicians that are corrupt and have made their fortune by, you know, uh, uh, payoffs and, and doing business in politics and things like that. He's actually attacking people that legitimate businessmen, people that have made and earned their wealth through productive work and through and to trade and not through criminality or, or politics or things like that. So he's attacking people like Bill Gates, like Mark Zuckerberg, like uh, Jeff Bezos, like uh, Mark Cuban and any, like uh, and, uh, even, um, well, J.K. Rowling and uh, Oprah Winfrey. Elon Musk. So Elon Musk, of course. And so basically he's attacking the productive heroes of our age. And there's a word to say about how, how these people got to be billionaires. Like I said, it's trade. It's through creating value, producing value, not stealing from anyone. And we'll analyze that claim a little bit later. But it's these high achievers who are at the top of their profession and that have created things that were previously unimaginable that have uh, brought so much value to the world. Imagine we wouldn't be able to be having this conversation. People wouldn't be able to be watching us. Probably we wouldn't be able to do this without Bill Gates because and Steve Jobs probably because they revolutionized the computing industry and they have made all of these uh, these scientific discoveries and they have utilized those scientific discoveries in a way that we can utilize them now to to do exactly what we're doing. So by and let's and let's humanize this yeah. for a second. So. I have a family member who is in the left and she keeps accusing these people. And I told her, do you realize that if it weren't for Bill Gates, I wouldn't have come back to Greece after 60 years abroad. Like the person you love is here because these people have created a world where I can work for an American employer from Greece. Like pause a minute and think how these people have benefited your life. So it's, it's not that they have made some good in general, which we should appreciate anyway, but my life has been actually changed because of the productive genius of such people. I have been able to return to my country because I now have the capacity to work from here. So it's, I, I owe, let's say, a personal hat off to Bill Gates. You know, 
People would say, oh, why do you support uh, billionaires? Well, A, because it's an act of justice, as we'll see. But B, right. this had made such an effect, such a difference in my life in the most direct and crucial way. Exactly. And in the, I think that is true of basically every human being on the planet at this point. Um, and, but you would never like by watching, uh, rights, Robert Wright's videos, which we're going to analyze a few clips later. He, so he has this YouTube channel where he uploads these like four mini highly produced videos where he attacks uh, billionaires and not only billionaires, but uh, he makes videos about lots of things. Um, if you watch those videos, you can watch all of them and read all of his op-eds and you would never know that these people that he's attacking have created any value at all. There is no mention to that. There's no acknowledgement to what they have actually done. You would never know that Bill Gates made this, what we're doing right now possible. It's like their wealth exists on a vacuum. They are, they just are billionaires and it's unfair somehow. And you can, you can tell this also from the, from the language he uses. So when he talks about their wealth, him he he puts it in terms how much of the how much money they brought uh, back home they took back home like they took from where as if there is this pool that we all throw some money and then bill gates rushed there and took the lion share and he took it and he took it back home right there's there's a lot of in this type of arguments that right and people like him make there's so much uh, trickery, let's say, going on. They make it. They make the arguments or what they think are arguments in a way that wants to trick the consumer, the reader, or, or the people watching the video into accepting things that they have that they take as like axiomatic. They have not justified. Like for instance, oh, you know, the, there's a limited amount of thing of of, the, of money, and like if they take whatever they, it's a zero, the, the zero sum game fantasy. Like if they take something, then it means it's not going to you, uh, the worker and things like that. But he, they never justify most of those very, uh, the very claims that they use to, as a foundation for their arguments. Because these claims cannot stand. So the interesting thing with Reich is if you ask them in what way do the very rich why don't they deserve their wealth he can give you 50 different answers which are which are random different each one from each other so this reminds me of conspiracy theories that every conspiracy theory has 50 different explanations they're not necessarily coherent but if we had to find the theme in in reich's accusations of the rich is that they didn't earn their wealth so they are rich but he mentions it time and again, not through their mind, not through their effort. So, for example, he says, how do you become a centi-billionaire, someone who makes a hundred billion? Is it that you work a hundred billion times more than someone else? Is it that you're more clever than someone else? Of course not. Therefore, and then he starts his, uh, his uh, different explanation. He says it's because you, you take advantage of a monopoly. It's because you engage in, quote, wage theft. It's because you, the politicians help you. So let us first start with, I think, dismantling one of his main claims that the rich become rich by exploiting the poor and actually by exploiting their workers. 
Now, let's make something very clear. We have to be very just here. Robert Reich is not a Marxist. So he doesn't believe the Marxist theory of exploitation. Actually, he would say he's a defender of capitalism. He wrote a book some years ago on mm-hmm. how to save capitalism. But notice his, his theory. His theory is that here's how you can become rich. So let's say that I work, that I have a worker. I pay the worker only as much as is necessary for his subsistence. So how many hours does the worker have to work in order to dress himself, to feed himself, to have a car to come to the factory? Let's say four hours. So I pay the worker the equivalent of four hours. But the worker works for me for eight hours and sometimes works for me maybe for 10 hours. So the difference between the four hours and the eight hours is my profit. So my so this is this is basically the Marxian theory of exploitation. So the idea is the un the the unpaid labor of the worker is my profit. So in a way, I tricked the worker in working for me for more hours. Now, of course, the question is why did the worker agree to that? In which we get no answer. So this is right. the idea. The idea is that the the the, the, the businessman, the capitalist, did not earn that, earn that. He stole the labor from the worker. So let's yes. take this for example. I think it's, one second. I think it's fair uh, that we present part of one of the clips from, from oh, sure, Reich, sure, sure. where he uh, where he talks about this. And I mean, there's like we were saying earlier, Reich attacks the the billionaire business people from many many different angles. And this is just one of the arguments that he makes because it's hard to this like if as your as our audience will see it's like he throws a bunch of things to the wall and like you are you have to pick what which which thread you pull from that it's very hard because he makes so many claims so there's a lot to unpack but we're just gonna focus on the of the argument that like the type of thing that uh, of uh, wage wage uh, theft that Nikos was talking about. Let's watch. Basically, what I'm saying is $100 billion is a lot of money, more than two and a half million times what the average American worker makes in a year. So here's the big question. Are these centibillionaires so rich because they work two and a half million times harder than the average American? Are they really a hundred times smarter than the typical billionaire? Personally, I don't think so. The reason for the rise of centibillionaires is that for decades, wealth hasn't trickled down. It's gushed up all the way to the very top. And that's not an accident. As it turns out, the system that the super rich themselves carefully crafted and lobbied for benefits the super rich. And while you may not own more private jets than your average centibillionaire, you probably do pay a higher tax rate. Okay, so like I said, a lot to unpack here, um, but let's focus on what you were just talking about, Nikos, which is how Reich thinks, and people that follow his, that have the same ideas, how they think that businessmen make money. So essentially you were saying that by exploiting the workers, right? So when you see this pair of eye of AirPods, there's no behind it. There's not someone who thought, "Oh, how can I 
completely revolutionized the idea that you have uh, that you have earphones. It's not someone who thought, who are the best people in the world I could hire? There's not someone who thought, how can I make this that it, it fits in your pocket, but also you can charge it without having to... No, no. It's just that some people in a factory were working and someone was underpaying them. Now, this is a very, I wouldn't want to say naive way of viewing the world. It's a way of viewing the world and completely disregarding that the role that the mind plays, the role that envisioning something and then acting on it. And it's, and it's weird because if you, if you ask Reich, for example, do you appreciate, let's say, an artist, someone who envisions something and then makes it happen? Or you, do you appreciate, let's say, an athlete who envisions a goal, I want to win the NBA title, or becomes the greatest of all time, and I work hard and I achieve it? You would say, perhaps, yes, I appreciate that. But why is it that when it comes to the producer, when it comes to the, to the businessman or the businesswoman, he's completely missing that? And he has this very naive idea that supposedly what made Apple rich is that it underpays its workers, which of course doesn't explain why some of these billionaires pay their workers way more than uh, the average uh, than, than what they would get anywhere else. So for example, take Mark Zuckerberg. Who is he exploiting? Exactly. Are the engineers of Facebook, which are part of the 0.1% of the richest people who have lived in history, are they being exploited by Zuckerberg? Is this why Zuckerberg is very, very rich? Or <laughs> who is J.K. Rowling exploiting? And with all these people, the way that they made their wealth is exactly the same. They had a great idea. They created something. A lot of people wanted this something, and they managed to give it to us at a cost which is less than it costs them to produce it. This is how this wealth is created. Yes, and like you were saying, Reich and, and a lot of people that follow his, his ideas or that agree with him are not necessarily Marxist, but I think that these, these, these theories, are they just keep recycling the Marxist theory and kind of like giving, it, giving them different spins like a more modern approach and things like that, but it's essentially the same, which is the greedy capitalist versus the worker versus the rest of us, right? And uh, part of what Reich does is try to pit people, the people, like we the people against the the, the businessmen, right? And that is like the oldest trick in the book for, for Marxism, I think. But when you were talking about the explo exploitation angle, particularly, it's, um, it's, People like Reich claim that the consumer is also being exploited, right? So that's one of the reasons why they call for the uh, for antitrust laws and and things like that. Is like these companies are forcing you to consume their products, but that is not true. This is where people conflate uh, political the the concept of political power, which is the the use of force to make someone do something, with the economic power, which is voluntary trade between individuals, between an individual and a company. And companies here in the United States engage in voluntary trade, right? No one is forcing you to buy, for example, the airports that you mentioned, right? You are free to buy a different brand or you're free to not buy the airports. And you're also free to work for Amazon or to not work for Amazon and not deal with Amazon. But Raj will say, no, they are forcing you. They're, it's, 
basically, if you didn't know any better, you would think that Jeff Bezos is putting a gun to your head saying, work for me or buy my product. Well, he gets near to that because he claims that Amazon is a monopoly. Like monopoly literally means mono, single. There's the only one place where you can buy. This is so bizarre. Like there is Walmart. There is a hundred other online retailers. There are the 50 supermarkets that are somewhere in the vicinity. There's, there's eBay. There's Rakuten. How is it a monopoly? Like, What's the cognitive dissonance that you have to get to claim that it's a monopoly? So, but even if it was, let's say, even if he, even if it was so good that all the other competitors would leave the market, this would mean that everyone else, we, with our democratic vote in the market, say, hey, I prefer to buy from Amazon, and therefore Amazon became big. So, a, Amazon is not a monopoly. B, the fact that it is very is doing very well is because me and you and many other people, we judge that it will benefit our life if we buy from Amazon. And actually, I wish there was Amazon in Greece and I could buy cheaper books. I have, I have a library that back in the day only an aristocrat could have, and most of it is books that cost between $10 and $15. Why? Because of Amazon. And hey, here's the nice thing with the market. Lately, Amazon has banned some books because they don't agree with their politics. I need these books for my research. What do I do? Oh, there's Rakuten or ABE books. So no, Amazon is not a monopoly. And the quote power that Amazon has is because they're doing a great job. And all of us, many of us actually go to Amazon and say, you are doing, you, you are offering value to my life. Please take my money and give me what you have to offer. Yeah, and that is part of what's, I think, important here is like how, so we explore kind of like how uh, Reich and others like him think that these businessmen have made their billions, right? But there's like what it's in Reich's opinion and what is reality, right? So how do they actually make money? What does value creation actually mean? And it's not value creation is not simply physical or manual labor and in the video that we just saw he shows uh first of all if you notice that the way he caricatures this business this businessman is just pretty insulting uh but he's you see jeff bezos like carrying amazon boxes like oh, this is what would mean for him to actually create value and this is what a large number of his employees do, right? The delivery, the people that deliver the, the packages, which is, of course, an important job. But it is, the value creation is not essentially like physical, manual labor. It's using the mind, using your mind to make connections and interconnect things that in a way that were never thought before. So, for instance, the, one of the people that come to mind when I think about this is Steve Jobs. He created the iPhone, which completely revolutionized the, the mobile phone industry and the computing industry, frankly, and the communication, uh, the way we communicate with each other in a, in a massive way, right? And he created, he created that from, from scratch. He used whatever science was available to him and he put it into creating this product, into serving this product that has, like the value that the iPhone has created is just immense. And I have, recently written uh, an op-ed for the OC register in which I explore one, 
some of the many ways in which these business people have uh, improved their lives with their with their with their products but that is what value creation is so these businessmen are creating are making these connections that are really hard to make and yes of course they hire workers to to work for them and with them because they cannot do everything themselves because they're just one person and also they uh they they don't have the capacity to everything but putting a whole team together a team like like is apple like is amazon together into a, a coherent single vision and executing with these people and hiring the right people that itself has a lot of merit it's a lot of mental work and a lot of thinking of really good thinking that has to go behind something like that and let's take it a step further not only this one percent or this 0.1 percent not only they don't exploit us in a way they add more value to our lives than we could have done ourselves so what's the opposite of exploit they benefit us let us let me give you an example let's think the people who created zoom okay they actually made us literally richer and here's how how many podcasts would we, me and you, be able to do together every year if it weren't for the laptop or the Zoom? We'd probably meet once every year in Ocon, in the conference of our employer every summer, and we would do one podcast. Now, because of all this technology, we can do podcasts every week. So what has, be what has become to our productivity? It has gone up Put differently. What has become to the value of our labor? It has gone up. So we produce more value for our employers and we are becoming richer because of that. So Ayn Rand has a very revolutionary understanding of uh, who, is, uh, who is, quote, exploiting whom. He calls it the pyramid of ability. At the top, there are few who not only don't exploit the many, they benefit the many. And again, the very simple example is think about the Clark machine. Compare a worker whose productivity would be carrying boxes with a worker who now has this machine that can carry 10 times this amount of boxing. So what happens to the productivity of the worker? It goes up, which means the worker produces more value, which means the worker is paid more. So again, the proper gesture should be, hey, hats off. Thanks for adding value to my life. And thanks for literally making me richer by making me more Productive. So this is the proper approach, rather than telling them you are exploiters. Exactly. And this is part of what uh, these people are evading when they talk about billionaires and how they're evil and whatnot. It's not just what they're saying, which is mostly inaccurate or completely inaccurate. It's also what they're not saying, what they are evading, right? So what they're evading is exactly this that we just discussed why these business people have created their wealth and why they deserve that, that, uh, that wealth. And part of it is that Wright and others argue that no one does anything on their own and on their own merit and their own effort. It is society that has helped them build whatever it is that they build. Remember Obama's famous words that you didn't build that, right? You were just there and like uh, you're the, the conditions around you and the people around you and your upbringing and whatnot is what made you uh, made it possible for you because you are worth nothing and you didn't build that. Right. So. 
if business people, these, these business people didn't build it themselves, it goes at the society, whatever amorphous abstract concept of society rights and others may have, society is what, what built it really. And if you didn't build it and society did, then whatever it is that you have earned from the product, you have to give it back to society. But part of what Rice doesn't acknowledge is that value cannot be created collectively. It is literally impossible. And Ayn Rand has a lot to say about this. And uh, I rec we're going to give some reading recommendations uh, later in the podcast. But essentially, it's that thinking requires an individual mind to do that thinking and requires individual effort. In a literal sense, there is no collective brain and no one can think for me, right? No one can build something for me and like make those connections for me. They can tell me what those connections are and I can follow instructions, like I follow an instructions to build a, a couch from Ikea, right? But no one, like someone has to do that thinking individually and of course we work in teams right you and i nikos we're doing this podcast and we thought about this this issue and we collaborated together but you didn't think for me and i didn't think for you because it is literally not not possible um it, and, even even in yeah. the extreme let's say example which is a football team what do all the good managers or basketball team what all the good managers say these days i need my players to be clever to be thinking because yes, I will give the directions, but they have to do the thinking for themselves on the pitch, where to be and how to how to cooperate. So teamwork only works if you have individuals who can think for themselves, which is another way of saying who can think. Exactly. Um, and Ayn has a quote, it's a little bit long to, to read now, but she talks about how we inherit the products of the thought from other men, or from, from other people, right? We inherit the wheel, we then make a cart, the cart then uh, turns into an automobile, and then uh, it becomes an airplane, and the airplane becomes a, a rocket and things like that, right? But we receive, these things that we receive are literally the, the product of the thinking that these people have done. And we keep improving on them, and we, uh, we keep thinking of what the next step is and we originate that next step right and that creative faculty she says that it belongs to individual people it cannot be done collectively and part of what she says is that just there's not like a collective stomach where like someone can digest my food for me or there's a one big stomach that digests the food for everyone else in society no there's no such thing every every single person needs to do their own thinking and produce values in an independent way. Definitely. And let's also mention for one minute this idea that it takes a village. I think that's how Hillary Clinton put it. Yeah. Or that you have to give back. So it is true that, of course, so for example, I think so often about my teacher at school that I wish he was still around to tell him a big thank you because he taught me how to speak proper Greek. But A, we did pay for this through the taxes or through, but also when it comes to, to like, oh, you, you, you found that bridge and that education and that's how you became who you are. How many thousands, if not millions of people had the same education as Bill Gates? They had the same roads and the same bridges, or I had the same 
I walked in the same streets as a great composer like, I don't know, Yanni or a great basketball player, like all, all famous Greeks apparently are called Yannis, but we are from the same country. They became the what they were. And actually they, they had even less opportunities than at least Yannis, the basketball player than I had. So the fact that you, that they were, that the, that you find some things ready, as for example, an education system. This doesn't take anything away from your achievements because this was there for everyone. And also, again, if you consider that someone really helped you, go tell them a big thank you, buy them a gift. I don't know what, whatever you judge is proper, but this takes nothing away from your achievements. I owe a big thank you to my teacher, but in my class, there were 30 people. Some of them didn't do much in life. So, of course, we owe stuff to people we cooperate, but this doesn't take away from our achievement. The fact that Bill Gates had the roads to drive his car doesn't take anything, and he doesn't owe anything to give anyone back, except if he knows that these particular people, he owes them a personal thank you or even a personal check or how whatever he feels like doing to them. So this is just a rationalization this is just a coping mechanism to find again a way to say you didn't build that. All the arguments of Reich and the people like Reich is he tries to find a way to tell these people you don't deserve what you have. I would say I don't want to psychologize. It sounds a bit like envy. it sounds like an and being envious for one's achievements, which again it shouldn't be this way. Reich has also done uh, uh, achieved things. You know he has a big YouTube channel, so I don't know if it's envy, but it's definitely something which is a. Which is, I, I find it quite a dark uh, sentiment and very unjust. Yeah, it, it's hard to know someone's motivation. Uh, it takes a lot of untangling to do. But I think part of the reason why, or, or the reason why Reich um, says these things and he claims so, he claims that trade is actually exploitation. Right. So if you didn't build that, if you uh, if someone else helped you or society or whoever helped you or uh, made you completely habilitated you to, to do to build something, you exploited them, according to to Raj, Right. So you're somehow, I guess, your teacher, you, you exploited that teacher in a way. I mean, they don't say this literally, but I think it's a, it, it, it follows, right? So Reich claims that trade is exploitation. And like we were saying earlier, he claims that businesses uh, like Amazon, Tesla, Microsoft, Apple, exploit and abuse the worker and the consumer, right? But again, there's and... no one forcing these people to engage with Amazon. There's no one forcing people to work for them. People choose to work for them, to buy their products and services, to advertise with them, etc. And the other thing, since we're talking here about who is good and who is bad and who is moral and who is immoral, let's think about it. What does it mean to say, I, am a, I think profits are bad? It's basically saying, you go to, I don't know, to Apple or to Steve Jobs or to Bill Gates and say, hey, I want you to produce something which will be good for me and I want you to give it to me without any benefit or any significant benefit for yourself. 
This is what it say, I'm against profit. And the question is, does this make you a good person? You're basically saying, you will make it and I will take it. This is, this is the anti-profit mentality. There's no other way I could see it. So again, we, we, should, we should turn the table here and say, hey, not only the people who attack this 1% are the good guys, you are actually the bad guys. You are asking for something immoral to take place. You are acknowledging that, yeah, you add value to my life because you use their products, but you want them to give them to you without any advantage to themselves. You want something for nothing. And the question now that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then like what people like Raj would say, and he says this at one point in one of his many videos, he says, okay, I'm not saying that we should take away all their fortune. He's like, okay, I'm not like just, you know, I don't want them to starve, but they have way too much. Right. But it's like, it's just too much, you know, somehow a hundred dollars is not too much like in principle, but a hundred billion is. What's the standard? But the question again is How why? was it obtained? It's unclear, right? Yeah. The question is why is a lot of profit bad? So here's the thing. If we understand that profit is good, again, profit means I created something that you want and I sell it to you in a way which is convenient and affordable to you, but I also make something because I produce it for a bit less. If this is good, why is this times a hundred or times a million? How does it suddenly become bad? At what point does it become something which is bad? And uh, one of Reich's, one of Reich's, uh, he, he wouldn't answer this. He wouldn't say at what point it becomes bad. He would just say, yeah, but you see, uh, when you get a lot, then this wealth doesn't trickle down. Mm-hmm. So now he, he puts from the back window a new argument, which is now a, a very, an argument which is based on a moral code, which says you should work for others. You should not work for yourself. So we will let you keep some stuff. Again, we are not Marxist here, but you have to give that stuff away, either because other people need it or because you didn't build that or for various reasons. But the constant is your job here in this earth is to work for others. Therefore, a hundred billion of profit is a bad thing and you have to give it away. Now, there's a quasi-sympathetic greeting here. We say, look, Reich uh, cares for the poor and those who suffer without uh, of their fault. In which case you could say, okay, it would be good to help these people in a voluntary way, but notice something. For Reich, the most important thing is not how much you give to the poor. For Reich, the most important thing is while you give stuff to the poor, how much do you suffer? What is the loss that you take? And I don't know if we have the clip, Agustina, but if not, uh, you can you can tell to our audience w- what exactly. He, or do we have the do we have the clip? We have the clip. Yeah. Um, let's okay, let's, let's play it. Yeah. And Jeff Bezos, for example, provided during the pandemic a hundred million dollars to food banks, and everybody applauded. Isn't that wonderful of Jeff Bezos? Well, yes, that was good. But $100 million, that's 11 days worth of Jeff Bezos's income off of his assets. 11 days, folks. Over the last five years, the Gates Foundation earned from its investments 
28.5 billion dollars. How much of that did the Gates Foundation actually pay out in charities, charitable contributions? 23.5 billion. Doesn't that seem a little bit odd? Okay, so, so I, again, I don't want to psychologize, but notice here, you gave a hundred millions away. Well, that's kind of okay, but it's not too good because you didn't suffer enough. Or oh, you only gave away 11%, uh, oh, sorry, 11 days of work you gave away. So Agustina, I'm starting to wonder here, could it be that Rai has a moral code that actually doesn't care so much about the unnecessary suffering of innocent uh, people who shouldn't be suffering, but he cares actually about something else. Right. It's the moral code that Ayn Rand attacks in, in her uh, and, and argues against in her philosophy, right? It's the moral code of, of altruism. And there's like a lot to say about that and how Rand justifies um, her, her position against altruism and the positive alternative that she gives. And I recommend the readers that they go to IRS website and explore a little, a little more about it. But it's essentially a, a code of morality that as long as what you do does not benefit yourself and benefit uh, benefits others, that's how you're moral. If you suffer, and in fact, like you said, the and if you suffer on top of that, the more you suffer, the more moral you will be. As long as you're not the beneficiary of your actions and someone else is, you are golden, right? It doesn't matter really how what those actions are. It doesn't matter if it's a hundred million dollars that Jeff Bezos donated or the 23 or 20 something billion dollars that the Gates Foundation donated, which by the way, Bill Gates himself is one of the biggest donors. It's not like I am donating $10 to the Gates Foundation and I don't know, you know, it's Bill Gates himself is one of the biggest donors, by the way. But it doesn't matter how much you give. It's never enough. You have to sacrifice. And the only reason, and this is a moral code that applies to everyone, right? But he he's delimiting it to, to business people because they, because they have so much, according to him, they have too much. And the reason that business people exist is merely to serve others. And they should not dare keep anything to themselves. And if they do, we're going to criticize them for it. Remember how uh, people criticized, including Elizabeth Warren and, and others, I believe Reich was one of these people as well. Yes, he was, in fact. How he criticized Jeff Bezos when he, uh, with his company Blue Origin, when he went to space. It doesn't matter the it's such an admirable thing to to achieve to be able to go to space as a civilian that it and the amount of technology and 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 thinking that went behind creating a company like that and creating the rocket itself it does not matter they made fun of him they said well they he could have solved all the problems in the world with that money it does not matter what they do with their fortune even if it's admirable if they're not serving other people it is morally wrong and the the big question here is this actually not the it's not even a question is it ever possible to defend the producer the creator if one accepts this moral code 
And notice, no one would say, or I assume no one would say, no, none of these people who create stuff would say, I accept, let's say, Marxism. But notice how they accept the moral code behind it. The moral code who says from each according to ability to each according to his need. Because this is what Reich is doing. Your ability, Jeff Bezos, is more than the 100 million you gave. And the need out there is more. So what are you doing keeping staff, having a good time? Give more. So if you accept people, dear Jeff Bezos, if you're watching, first donate to ARI because only we can understand and defend what you're doing. But also notice that if you accept this code, you cannot defend yourself against Robert Reich or against anyone. You become the slave of every single person on earth who has some need. You become the slave of every person on earth who can say, hey, you still have stuff and I don't have stuff, so just give me. So again, Reich would say, you know, I'm not saying this, but this is the principle. This is the logical conclusion of a moral code that says you didn't suffer enough and you still have stuff where there are people out there who need your who need your uh, who need your stuff yes and people's other people's needs become a claim on your work and on your on whatever it is you earn through your through your work and your time too and notice also in the video how um well he's upset that they haven't donated more and he insinuates that it's odd as he calls it that the gates foundation made a certain amount but didn't donate the full amount is he taking into consideration the operating costs, for instance? We don't know. Over what period of time was this? We we're not really sure. But it's one of the ways that he's trying to put something over and to smear uh, to smear the uh, gates in this case. But another th it's another thing that comes off the video, and it's such a common argument that a lot of people make is that this billionaire, the, the philanthropy that that they that they do is a sham, right? Because they actually get charitable deductions from their taxes when they donate. So essentially the way it works for those, especially who don't live in the United States and I don't know what tax codes everywhere are, essentially you donate something, uh, a certain amount to a charity and you get a deduction on your taxes, on the taxes that you pay based on the amount of the donation that you gave. And Reich is actually mad that they, uh, in that same video, that we don't have time to play the full clip, but he is upset that this, the, 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 he calls the, the donations a sham because they actually get the deductions or get something back from, from those donations that they made. But what essentially he's upset that these business people are doing what the government is telling them to do, to give their money away. So when these billionaires take actually take a deduction, they are the government is telling them, okay, I will take away fifty percent of your money or whatever amount it is in taxes, but I will take less if you do what I want you to do, which is to donate to to these charities. And they do, and then rights and people like rights get upset before because they do. So there's literally no way. If they cannot go wrong, but he doesn't attack the government. He attacks the people that are, he doesn't attack the system. He attacks the people that are actually using the system as it's supposed to be used. 
and he considers these money subsidies. So for Reich, we subsidize the billionaires. What does it mean that we subsidize the billionaires? Trans because someone reads this and says, yeah, that's horrible. Like, why should we give money to Jeff Bezos? But here's what he means. He means that instead of expropriating, let's say, 30% of their income, we expropriate 28% of their income. But because somehow in a magical way we consider that we, we have a claim to the 30%, this 2% belongs to the people, but instead of going to the people, it ended up in the pocket of Jeff Bezos. And they call this expropriation. Eh, sorry, they call this a subsidy that we paid for Jeff Bezos. Or he makes another argument, which is, I find it ideologically very insidious. So he says, uh, we subsidize also Bezos because we give welfare payment to his workers because they can't make ends meet. So we live in a society which has taxes, unnecessary regulations, inflation, which is a result of a government intervention in the economy. But the only person who is responsible for someone's struggling to make ends meet is their employer. Therefore, if the state gives money to people who cannot afford uh, to, to live under a, a, above a particular level, somehow we are subsidizing Bezos. So again, this is rationalization. The only way to be persuaded that this is an argument that makes sense is to, is to be very committed to say whatever this guy does, he doesn't work, is not worth it. Whatever this guy does is a bad thing. There is never that I'm going to accept that this guy is doing something good. This is the only way Reich's rationalizations can fly. So, Agustina, do you want to go to the QA? We have a couple of uh, super chats, which I think we should uh, acknowledge, and then I'll give you the last word because we are reaching uh, the end of our time. So, thank you very much, Marielen. We really appreciate your support, your two super chats. Who gets to decide the right amount of profit, you ask? I wish I knew. Again, Reich tells us that being a, mil a billionaire is too much, and therefore we should, quote, abolish them. He doesn't tell us what is the upper limit. But I, I would encourage people, read Atlas Rugged and notice that as society in the later parts of the book is becoming more and more and more is falling into decline, suddenly the target is not the billionaire or the millionaire, is the guy who has food for the next week or, for, or soon for the next two days. So it's, it's a very good question what this... Uh, what this uh, what the right amount of profit is, but keep in mind that it can move. How long, says uh, SauceBot, thank you very much for your contribution, how long before the world's first trillionaire? If we see billionaires being vilified, what will they do to the trillionaire? Well, what they always do. They will point to their success and they will say, you didn't build this, you are not to keep this. Yeah, so what is... You, the... um, yeah. let, me, let me add something there, Nikos. Um, so now we have, he has a, Reich has a video about centibillionaires, which is people who have a hundred billion dollars or more, and he mocks them. And it's part of the, the first video that we saw earlier. And then he actually says, well, we're now waiting for the world's first trillionaire, but at least that's a word that is easier to pronounce. So he's already obviously making fun of it. Right. But like you said, this will what will happen is what has been happening for a very long time now because this phenomenon did not start in 2019 
with the Abolish Billionaires campaign, right? This has been happening since very early on. In fact, Ayn Rand uh, has discussed about the robber barons, the so-called robber barons of the 19th century, and how and she discusses how they were vilified. We're talking about uh, Rockefeller and, and Carnegie and J.P. Morgan, how they were vilified for being, for the good in them, right? For being productive. And if you pay attention, a lot of the same attacks that Rand describes that were leveled against these robber, so-called robber barons are the attacks that are being leveled against the productive geniuses or our age of the technological era, let's call it, right? Um, so it will, it's just the newer version of the same argument that vilifies uh, businessmen. It will just keep happening and happening all over again. It will keep happening indeed. So thank you very much. Unless, of course, we, we change the culture and uh, we, we are able to make people uh, like see that there's a different way to think about these billionaires and trillionaires and quadrimillionaires, whatever comes after that. Indeed. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Catherine. So, uh, Agustin, I will leave the last word to you. My last word would be this. Someone put in one of our so social media, oh, you're simping for billionaires. I say we're doing something which is an act of justice. And actually, I think we're good people here. We have taken value. We have, we, we have, our life has become better from what some people are doing. And these people are unjustly attacked. If you're a good person, you defend these people who are unjustly attacked. And of course, these people are never going to you know, support uh, what we're doing. So we're not doing this uh, for this. It's just literally an act of justice. And anyone who wants to be a decent person needs to be a just person. So this is how I see our defense of uh, these people against attacks such as uh, rights. So I'll leave the last word to you, though. No, I, I completely agree with that, uh, Nikos. I think it's an act of justice. And I know a lot of people that admire business, business people in general, but when it comes to big, big business, they don't like it so much because of the claims that they take subsidies and taxes and, and, and the, these tax breaks and whatnot. And there's like a whole conversation to be had about what is morally right to take, but this issue is part of the evil of a mixed economy. It makes it really hard to determine what is moral to pursue and, and what is not. Whether I should move, like Amazon should move the headquarters to a different state because they have less, they have less taxes or tax incentives. So I think that this, you, you can judge them however you want and you can look into it, but part of what's going on is that the, these businessmen are trying to navigate a system that is corrupt, right? And mm -hmm. part of the, and, and Robert Reich and, and others like him are against these subsidies and tax breaks for the rich because, you know, they say they lobby for it and we need to get uh, money out of politics, but they don't acknowledge that to get money out of politics, the best simplest thing to do is to get uh, government out of the economy, right? But they're not ready for that conversation. They don't want to have that conversation. But in any case, this is, I think, yes, an act of justice that we're uh, recognizing the, the value that these business people create. And we have criticized uh, uh, this view of this anti-businessman view, but 
you there's actually a positive to this and i've written about it in a in a notepad for the OS register which is also available in a journal new ideal where i say okay you have this view right the one that we just discussed here's another here's an alternative this is how i look at these business people and i recommend you read it because it might just change your mind about the way that you think about it and it's definitely not how most people think about it uh, unfortunately in society Yes, I've read your op-ed. It's called Why I Admire the Goats of the Business World. It, it makes the comparison of how, how we admire a Messi or a LeBron James. So it's, this, it's exactly the same qualities that we admire on, uh, on someone, like, uh, someone like Bill Gates. And in a way, this, it's the same the thing that we get. With, from Messi, we get the inspiration, the aesthetic uh, pleasure of seeing him play. From Bill Gates, we get this the, the compute the laptop that has changed uh, that has changed our lives. So it's the same it's the same principle. So another source I want to suggest is uh, an article I mentioned early on today: Americans persecuted minority big business. This is Ayn Rand's uh, essay in Capitalism: The Unknown Ideal, which is uh, also available as a lecture if someone wants to find it on YouTube. So a big thank you to the people who send super chats, a big thank you to the people who watch and the people who support us. If you enjoy this, you can like, you can share, tell your friends about this. Another thing you can do is you can send us your questions for future episodes. So quite often we do Q&As where we get your questions and we can also get your suggestion for the topic that you want us to cover. So drop us an email at newideal@einrand.org. So uh, subscribe to our channel, get also the click to get the notifications. And what is the topic of next week? We're not sure yet, but you'll find out soon. So thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks to Agustina, who was the mind behind today's uh, topic and see you all soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, Nikos. Thank you. You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.